All right, welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Repeat podcast today with Susanna Schneeberger. Hi, Susanna. Hi. Well, thanks for being on the show. Um, we've uh, got some interesting topics to uh, talk about with you uh, because, I mean, you've done some uh, really interesting work in, uh, in the past and are also doing really interesting stuff uh, nowadays. Uh, and, uh, you know, as always, we, uh, you know, kind of start the conversation the, the same way uh, because we want to kind of, you know, um, give a picture for our listeners or kind of, yeah, Uh, show who the person is that we are actually talking to and that's why you know the first thing for today uh, I would like to actually uh, give give um, you know give you the stage to kind of you know in a storytelling way quickly go through you know the different stages of your professional life and basically you know what is it that you were up to in the past what is it that you're doing today and uh, you know to kind of paint a picture for us yeah I'm happy to yeah so I'm Swedish uh, by region born and raised in Sweden um, And when I was a kid, we were traveling a lot. So I, very early on, I was very much interested in the world around me and wanted to influence a lot of things. So that has been uh, coming from my childhood, basically. Also, the interest in technology and all the opportunities uh, that technology gives. That has been something that has been following throughout my life. So even if I'm Swedish, um, I have worked um, internationally throughout my career and the last 17 years with global responsibility. Uh, I've lived outside Sweden for 18 years, where I'm 15 in, in Germany and uh, in, dif in six different countries. Um, I, um, the interest for, uh, for the world around me was, as I said, raised very early on. So when I did uh, graduate from high school, I was working uh, uh, as a tourist guide in the Alps and um, that uh, really was something that I, I liked a lot and I, I wanted to um, continue working abroad. So I decided to study international business with business German and business English at the University in Lund and um, I also did a, a master and, uh, in that and, and an MBA on top of that. Uh, I was studying also in Germany and in, in the U.S. for some time during that time. So when I graduated, I wanted really to go abroad directly. I'm, I'm an impatient person. So uh, I started an international trainee, management trainee program uh, and was working in, in Australia, U.S., uh, U.K., France and in many different countries. And uh, it was an exciting time. Uh, after a year, uh, I got then my first business responsibility and was um, located in Munich since I spoke German. And that was in the media industry. So that is um, um, completely different to what I've done later uh, at, at my professional uh, uh, stages. So I ended up being responsible for the new media division, which end of the 90s was CDs, CD-ROMs and, and also DVDs. So I was uh, far away from where the technology is uh, just 20 years later. Um, so I've started off with uh, completely different aspects of technology but already at that time that was a, a company that was working a lot with database marketing so that is of course the foundation for e-commerce and, and all those aspects. Um, I thereafter worked um, as a management consultant um, in the dot-com era and uh, I um, experienced both the boom that came with it but also the breakdown of, of the market and, and uh, 
what happens happened after. Um, so that's where I started working with digital transformation and uh, complementing existing business models with new digital ways of working and, and new channels to market. And then I transferred into a software company, a German software company. I was working and driving the development of a new growth strategy, which included both the organic and acquired growth. We ended up emerging with one of our competitors, OpenText is a Canadian big company, working with the enterprise content management, everything that... Uh, that covers and takes care of uh, content throughout um, uh, cooperation and, and the lifetime of it and the processes. And then 2007, I changed the industry completely and I also changed countries. So I moved back to Sweden, which I didn't think I would ever do, and started working for a Swedish, very traditional industrial engineering company, Trelleborg. Uh, where I first uh, worked with strategic business development for the group in different parts of the world and um, then also um, thereafter took over the global sales and marketing uh, responsibility for, for one of their uh, business areas. And then a couple of years later, 2014, I was offered a, a job as a CEO for the 200-year-old traditional uh, German crane company, DMAG, and the move back to Germany. So um, that was the next big step, I would say. And the last uh, years, I've been responsible for one of two business segments uh, uh, contained, containing automized warehouses and distribution solutions, and also having the overall responsibility for the digital transformation of, uh, of the global interlogistic market leader, Kion, uh, which I left the uh, position that I left earlier this year. Uh, and the last 10 years, I've also in parallel taken on uh, uh, several supervisor and advisory board roles uh, uh, to kind of grow, grow as, a, as a person, learn new things, see uh, experiences from different industries, but also to be able to contribute with, um, with the things that I've learned throughout my career. So one can say that uh, digitalization has been one essential and integrated part uh, of my job uh, throughout the time that I've been working. I started very, very early on, as I said, with database marketing, CRM and e-commerce, but then later also complementing business models with digital channels and, and the business um, areas. Also process optimization, workflows and the content management aspects and the software to it. That was really the core of the business at that point. And then later on, when I went into um, the industrial space, then uh, taking advantage of the digital technology in form of technology um, uh, for connectivity, data, artificial intelligence for the in in in, in completely different context, industrial context, and that, there to create value in different ways for customers, but also of course um, competitive advantage for those more um, traditional companies. So that's in in short uh, what I've been doing so far. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. That is, uh, you know, that is quite impressive. And uh, I like uh, how, you know, how big of a contrast uh, that actually is, or the change that you made from, you know, from the beginning of how you started out uh, more or less in, in, in the media industry and then transforming into the industrial space. And then let's say, you know, um, seeing their different corporations, you know, especially I think what's really interesting. Um, I, I didn't know Tra Trelleborg, uh, but uh, I know, uh, I know Terex and I know Kion. 
And, uh, you know, especially there, I mean, where you have, let's say, you know, um, ultimately the, the core product are, are big, let's say, industrial, is, is big industrial machinery. And I think that is really where there's so many different interesting, you know, uh, applications for, for new technologies. And, and therefore, I think there's a lot that you can uh, share with us on the podcast. And therefore, I'm really uh, glad that we're doing this today. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, even if it's, um, it feels like it's far away, the software business where I, you know, basically also had in my early career and, and the industrial space, but the, the spaces are coming together. So I think that is the interesting part as well. And that is what I've been liking the, since I started in the industrial uh, world, that I can actually contribute uh, what I had, uh, my experience from the, from the software industry, because it's all, uh, it's merging. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, especially because, you know, there's, um, you know, more and more, let's say, uh, intelligent solutions added to, to do hard work, to the hard work parts. And, uh, therefore there's, uh, really, as you said, a lot of, uh, a lot of things happening. Um, let's, uh, maybe let's start, uh, you know, exactly then at your first, um, um, or with the first question, maybe what is it, let's say, if you compare these three big stages as, 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 as I can, let's say, recall them now with, uh, with, uh, Trelleborg, uh, Terex, and then maybe Keon, you know, what is maybe something, you know, that you can kind of summarize in the sense of your, your journey within these companies that relates to, let's say, you know, digital transformation, because as, uh, as far as I, I saw it from your, let's say LinkedIn profile, you started out at Trelleborg in 2011, right? I mean, that is, uh, or no, actually no, early, earlier. Uh, yeah. 2007. 2007 yeah. Sorry. That is my bad. In 2007, you know, and that is already, I mean, now, uh, 13 years ago. So what is something maybe that, uh, you know, if you kind of on a, on a high meter level, you know, summarize something that how you observe these, let's say, years, you know, in, in regards to how, you know, industrial companies are, are faced by digital transformation. Yeah, when I started uh, at Trelleborg, it was quite of a, a kind of a, a culture shock coming from the software industry, because um, in the software industry, we were using digital meeting places like the one we are using here today. Uh, already since the beginning of the uh, 2000 years. And then when I came to, to Trelleborg, most people actually had, uh, you know, calendars in their hand, <laughs> you know, manual calendar. So the assistants were calling all uh, around to kind of coordinate meetings and people forgot about it and so on. So it was a very, very big difference, of course, how, how that was um, in the whole infrastructure and, and what focus that was at. I was... Uh, and it's kind of fun because I was very often called when someone had problems with their emails because they <laughs> thought I was the expert in IT support just because I used to work in the software industry. So that was the maturity level. And uh, that was, of course, for most industrial companies and not only the, the industrial companies themselves, but also the customers. There were no maturity. So a lot of focus at that time was actually to just inform and what I mean with, with that is to set up, you know, professional websites and, and things like that. So you can actually uh, communicate or get information. And that most of the time uh, there was an email address and, and there was not clear who would read the email address or checking it. So it was a lot of, of things that was dead ends basically in, in, into uh, those companies. Um, so that was very, that's where, where basically it was starting. Um, 
the digitalization was mostly SAP, uh, you know, or ERP systems and, and email. That was the kind of coverage. Then after one or two years into my time there, a lot of focus was set to try to uh, make it easier uh, for the customers to do business with us. So ease of doing business was the first step in the maturity, I would say, that most industrial uh, companies took. And that being then having someone that is actually checking the emails that comes in maybe as a, as a first one, but also to have you know, customer portals where they can see what they have ordered, they have access to uh, information or maybe instruction books and things like that. So it was the, the primary focus was first to kind of inform, communicate. The next step of maturity was then to uh, make it easier for customer takeaway hurdles. And um, that was the purpose was, of course, to tie the customers a little bit uh, tighter, to have loyal customers and, and so on. Um, what we also was then taking when that uh, level of maturity had uh, arise was also to try to create additional value for those customers. So be it CAD um, uh, drawings, for example, that you could actually import for the designers, the engineers as a target group especially, to make it easier for them to just uh, put in our products into the drawings because we knew that uh, uh, they would then stay there as well uh, when they were sending out for quotas and so on. So we could actually steer the behavior and be part of, uh, of um, their design process. So I think those are, were, were many of the things that we were working on, on um, during my first couple of years in the industrial um, space. Another aspect actually that I think is quite important as well that is uh, maybe less thought of as, as a, a digitalization or the core of, of the digitalization that we talk about today is actually also to um, uh, provide the right information at the right time to take the right decisions. Uh, and that is, of course, something we worked with at OpenText and, and, um, and my time at the software industry, because that is one of the biggest challenge. In the old days, uh, there was lack of, of information, appropriate information. Now, it's an, uh, uh, most companies are overwhelmed with information and content, so they don't know uh, where to find it. So we were working, for example, also uh, um, to um, make sure that we have the right kind of reports uh, and information about our customers, about their behavior, what they have uh, been buying, and um, in, in terms of CRM, of course, but also to evaluate the profitability and to be able to prepare uh, for, for those discussions. So that was the other part, which is more of an internal efficiency aspect of it, I think. When I then moved over to DMAG, and, and um, um, a lot of focus was about, um, as you said as well, connectivity, remote monitoring. That has been a core part of it, and also to um, make sure that uh, new services are, are um, provided to, to the customers. So I think then a lot of the focus has been on, um, on um, efficiency on the one hand for the service organization. Uh, but also to make sure that uh, the, you take away the biggest uh, um, uh, struggles for the customer, the different issues, which is when a, an equipment that is installed is not working or performing. So, so that was another aspect of, of uh, the digitalization. Uh, 
both the service technicians um, as such to make them more efficient, uh, being signing contracts uh, and, and and so on, uh, and also then the the, the core of the equipment. Um, monitoring and and also in some cases uh, do predictive and preventive maintenance so that's another aspect of, of that which i think is is uh, in most uh, machining and engineering companies a very important one right um, and of course yeah sorry go ahead go ahead yeah no just uh, and just the, the last part for for uh, keon has uh, had uh, a lot of, of good initiatives in the past as well uh, but I, I think, you know, the same areas that we're talking about here to become more efficient internally is one important aspect. Ease of doing business is also an important aspect still. And then, of course, you know, the connectivity and the IoT with the industrial trucks, for example, but also uh, within the automized warehouse solutions to be able to do predictive maintenance, which we did very successfully with, with some selected customers. So I think then we are coming more to a mature grade where a lot of, of the basics are in place and you are looking to develop more of, of new business models and, and transform into the future. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and we're going to dive, dive into that as well. I mean, that is one of the topics that we also are going to talk about uh, um, at a later stage. Uh, but I mean, you know, what's interesting is uh, I think what what's uh, really kind of also perfect to at least for me, you know, um, having talked to as well multiple people that let's say are uh, that have let's say fulfilled or are currently in the chief digital officer space is that kind of you know your um, your career path kind of also also reflects let's say the you know how organization or how the demand for you know leadership and organizations uh, changed over the over the last years you know and um, I want to dive into basically uh, into into kind of the, the next um, question, which is um, kind of around from your perspective um, and let's say experience as being a chief digital officer, um, how would you, let's say, how would you define or did the role of a chief digital officer? So, because I mean, you know, it is a, it is a fairly, let's say new or young role within let's say uh, executive uh, boards, but um, from your own perspective, how, when you started out as a chief digital officer, um, how did you frame that role for yourself and how do you see it today? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, the role of a chief digital officer depends a lot of the maturity of the organization in terms of digitalization and, and also, you know, what, what kind of industry it is, how entrepreneurial and tech affine is the corporate culture in, in that company. Uh, but of course, there are some parts uh, that, that are common, I would say. Uh, first of all, my, my firm belief is, is uh, that the tech and the digital aspect needs to be embedded in everything uh, companies do. So it's, uh, it's not something that someone centrally is doing uh, for everybody. It, it's a fundamental part of the strategy, both, both as an efficiency lever and, and, and also a way to di differentiate and create value both for the customers and, and in, for the company itself. So I think that is a task for everybody in the organization. And I also ultimately think that it needs to be or become a, a grassroots movement in the whole organization. Otherwise, uh, 
you know, the development is so fast in terms of technology, but also what the, the moves of competitors in different parts of the world. So if you don't have the whole organization going in, in that direction and taking responsibility, you will be too slow and you will be missing out on, on opportunities. Um, so I, I think, um, you know, also the, it, it, um, the, the digital transformation also um, requires change to, to how you work and, and how you act. And, and, and that um, needs buy-in in the organization to be successful. So I think it also has requ different requirements on, on leadership. So that, so that is, the, you know, the basic fun, uh, fundament for me that digitalization is a task for everybody. But if I come back to how I see the role of a CDO, I think first of all, it needs to be a business-driven person and it needs to be multifolded. Uh, and um, take different roles in different situations and in, for different aspects of it. So on the one hand, it needs to be orchestrator. It gives direction and creates, it creates transparency, transparency in the organization, has an overview of uh, the, all the digital activities and the portfolio and make sure that there are no silos, that all solutions or things fit together. Secondly, it needs to be an enabler. It, make, it needs to make sure that the required infrastructure in terms of IT and data fundamentals and structures uh, are in place or get in place and um, that uh, this person also as an enabler needs to have access and secure resources both in terms of budget and priorities but also for example rare resources or skill sets that you don't have um, a lot of in the organization especially in, not in industrial companies so artificial intelligence or data science and, and things like that you cannot have them spread all over the organization so that is something I think that um, uh, needs uh, to be, uh, the, the shift in the software needs to be an enabler in those aspects and needs to prioritize and govern uh, uh, certain decisions, prioritization uh, to make uh, those projects that are decided uh, scalable. And then the third one I think is, is to be uh, an inspirer. So if you want to have a grassroots movement, you need to have someone that is talking in the organization and get the people with you and um, make sure that uh, um, knowledge is shared, ideas and best practices from outside and uh, inside the company and the industry are shared uh, so that people can actually in the organization come up with, with ideas uh, that, and take action based on those. I also think, you know, as an inspiration uh, or inspirer, you, you should have access to a small innovative digital team and the data lab so you can experiment a little bit with new technologies because that will not happen out in the organization most cases um, so you need to have a little bit of a cluster or something that uh, where you can have disruptive uh, solutions and business models say that uh, is outside of the current business scope so I think um, uh, that is something that uh, you know more innovation idea generation and so on that um, a trial and error lab uh, that I think needs that. And, uh, and also one essential part for a chief digital officer from my perspective is also to be a change agent and a role model for the cultural change and uh, the new ways of working together and leading and especially on focusing the customer centricity and, and fostering an agile and um, 
and flexible and team-oriented cross-functional collaboration and culture because that is one of the biggest hurdles for most uh, uh, traditional companies to actually create that kind of DNA and live that and, and get the, the buy-in and, and the, in the organization and trigger the change that is required to be successful. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. There's, um, you know, the difficulty actually, um, what you just mentioned is, you know, in regards to, um, yeah, trying out, you know, trying out new things, um, you know, trying to, uh, or looking for opportunities, or even, let's say, you know, establishing new products or services, you know, from the ground up, you know, that is actually, that is, I mean, the, 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 that is one of the uh, biggest challenges, obviously, um, that, you know, uh, organizations have in regards to, you know, having the, the core business, you know, running, you know, the, the, the processes, the systems, you know, that, that are in place in order to, let's say, have this huge organization, you know, work. And um, that is also from my perspective, and I had a really co interesting conversation with uh, um, uh, also a chief digital officer not, not, long, not too long ago, where, you know, we had, uh, we had this, this conversation around the, the, the big question, you know, the difficulty between, and, and that is also the point that you mentioned, um, it, it depends on the maturity of an organization, right? But then again, you know, the larger the organization are, the diverse maturity becomes in the different units, you know, business units or business areas there is. And, and, and you know, there is a really interesting, really interesting conversation also once where it was about Siemens, you know, there's, at Siemens you have, you know, business units that do really, let's say, you know, that use the most, let's say, high-end technology, you know, the latest technology that is available and are really doing amazing stuff, you know. But then again, there's also business units which are just building boxes, you know, plain boxes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the yeah. question also comes to, when, when we're talking about, okay, we, we differentiate between, you know, building new things or looking for, you know, developing, you know, um, innovation inside the company, you know, or trying to basically do that or either with partnerships or whatever that is, you know, mm -hmm. and then at the same time have, let's say the core business, you know, that actually brings in the money and let's say finances everything, right? How much of a, like to, to what extent, how much energy do we, for example, you know, put into activities around, you know, transforming processes or, you know, um, for example, as you said, ERP systems, right? You know, big migration projects, because those, those are all things that cost a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and that, you know, if you, if you think about all these dimensions, you know, it becomes clear on how difficult actually the role of a chief digital officer comes, you know, because it's, yeah. not, it's not just about, you know, new business models, new technology, high-end technology. It's really, let's say, you know, how do you fit that in with, let's say, you know, the organization that exists with its, processes and its with its revenue models right yeah and i think you know one of the challenges as well as you point out is you know how do you balance the, the mature business that is earning the money today and and how much can you actually invest in in the future and and uh, that is, is is a balance that is is hard to strike and especially now with the, with the situation that we have seen for q2 i think that will change a lot as well going forward how how uh, certain things are prioritized but one mistake that I've seen um, in uh, several occasions in different companies is actually that one is using the same kind of methodology for business cases, innovation processes, and the same KPIs uh, for the new and, and developing business um, you know, that is going to be earning money in the future. 
as for the traditional and the mature business. And that does not work from my perspective, because then you will always lose for uh, and underinvest uh, for the uh, for the new areas. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean that is that is the aspect of exponential growth, right? I mean. Uh, mm. That is, that is, it's not, you know, the traditional business comes with, with an approach to linear growth, right? It's, it's not about, it's not, it's not the aspect of exponential growth. And I think for people, especially, and that is the change aspect. And again, you know, for, for the overall, let's say, the overall population of an organization or the, um, uh, let's say the, the average employee does not on a daily basis, does not grasp the concept of exponential growth because no. that, because that is not what's, what's his or her you know, um, day or business or, you know, daily activities are about, you know, it's, it's about yeah. steady growth, about, you know, steady processes and executing on the things that are happening on a daily basis. Yeah. You're right. Um, you know, there's a topic that, um, I think we can then move to, uh, and we talked about that prior as well is, um, I think that it's that is the more interesting of of of, of the many uh, dimensions of of digitization is um, new business models and let's say you know finding ways to apply technology um, uh, in in a, in a really interesting sense and you already mentioned some things at um, you know at, at Keon for example that you guys did in, in the sense of predictive maintenance etc and then mm -hmm. uh, maybe you can dwell a little bit more on that and and, and maybe you know some of some of the examples that you've seen at the organizations that you have been active at or maybe also from you know the, the companies that you are on a board at and stuff mm -hmm. what are some really interesting things happening that you that you see you know in in the industrial space in regards to um you know advanced technologies yeah sure no i think uh, you know there are some if you want to develop uh, new business models uh, for traditional industrial companies there are some pitfalls that uh, that uh, you know, a, a lot of companies do, uh, and that is time. The first one is time, underestimating the time, the effort and investment it takes to actually develop a successful new business model. I think that is, is, is uh, in most cases, uh, and that is a little bit linked to what I said before as well, uh, that, uh, you, you know, you, you get stuck, you get easily stuck in traditional way of thinking, acting and measuring, like I said before, with the KPIs and the, the processes and so on. And that is too, that, that cannot be done. So that is one of the uh, challenges uh, when you try to do that. Uh, another uh, mistake or, or uh, that I see uh, quite a lot is, is also not having the fundamentals in place. So what I mean with that is, for example, the IT backbone and access to relevant data. You jump into uh, a digital business model, uh, uh, developing it, coming up with ID generation, trying to do the proof of concept and so on. But then you discover, okay, I haven't done my homework. So I still don't have access to the relevant or the right data, or I, my, my IT backbone is not able to scale a solution that I have actually developed. So that is another mistake I've seen quite a lot of as well. Uh, I, I also think, um, you know, sometimes um, being a little bit too narrow-minded and limiting uh, uh, yourself on how, how things uh, work now and, and, and then coming up with, with not the breakthrough uh, ideas or the things that would actually change something, but more adjacent stuff. Um, and I, I think it, that is a little bit uh, um, sometimes also um, 
related to the fact that you don't have enough different perspectives uh, when you are in the idea generation phase. You're still using, uh, you know, some tech experts maybe, and then you have some uh, digital natives, and then you have uh, uh, a lot of people from the, or the current organization. Uh, and um, maybe you should take someone that is has never done anything in your industry. That would make make um, that dynamic a little bit um, more uh, fruitful, I think. I think another thing that I've seen quite a lot is also to uh, start too big, and and, and there, there will not be an end to to what you're trying to achieve. Or the other way around, to start too small and forgot about the uh, you know the scalability of the of of a successful pilot or product. So, and I think maybe a last one then before I go over to the good examples, which is probably more interesting, uh, but uh, I, I also see uh, quite a lot that um, the customers uh, are forgotten in the initial phases as well. It's, uh, there's often a tenden tendency to, uh, in, to um, think uh, everybody knows their customers, they know um, what the customer problems are and they're trying to solve it. So I think uh, forgetting about the real customer problems as a starting point and co-create and involve the customers in, in the whole process, I think that is one of the key success factors for, for anything that you would like to do. But if I, I look at some good examples that I've seen, that, that is, um, if I look at the, you know, think big but small, start small and test, adjust and then scale. I think that is, you know, the summary of how to do it from a process point of view. And um, also the best examples uh, I think um, I have seen that has been developed has, uh, in terms of successful new business models is working with long-term trusted customers as pilots and define a joint and sustainable win-win situation. So a benefit that is shared and the benefit needs to be big enough for both companies to actually invest in, in the joint project. Um, and the, the selection of those customers uh, is really important, I think, because it needs to be a, a trusted partnership and a true partnership between those customers. And um, uh, both parties need to go in with the, with the, uh, to the project with open eyes, um, since it will not be perfect and it would be a lot of trial and errors to get this right. I've seen um, those uh, good partnerships uh, for several companies, uh, among others, one I, where I'm on the, on the supervisory board as well, where they have really developed um, a performance-based business model together with one big customers and now have also managed to uh, roll it out to, to the majority of their target customers. So I think that that is the way to do it also at Kion. We, we did that uh, for predictive maintenance uh, with big, uh, big important customers um, that um, had um, um, a lot of downtime in their distribution centers. And if you can reduce that, you have a shared um, benefit and, and that is uh, what has been done. And that is a substantial benefit for both parties if you make that work. So I think uh, from in terms of technology, I think uh, artificial intelligence is one of, of the biggest uh, um, enablers here uh, and otherwise of course data analytics and algorithms uh, as used in in those examples that I've been given is, is absolutely once where you will see the, the biggest um, benefits and, and uh, opportunities uh, uh, for those.
I also think it, to be successful, um, it's not only important to um, work with trusted customers, uh, but also um, it's um, important to work with external partners, I think. Most of the ca cases you don't have access to the extensive spearhead experience and the technology and, and experience that you need to have internally. And even if you would have it, um, the risk is that they, they are too few, there is no critical mass, and they do not stay on the very forefront of, of, of that uh, technology development. So I think for speed, but also for flexibility to accelerate certain things, it, it's really important to build up an open ecosystem with all kinds of relevant partners like startups, tech and service providers, um, universities, and, and um, even peers and, and, um, and suppliers. Uh, I think those are a really important one um, and an important aspect of, of um, what needs to be in place to enable those uh, successful business models. But I think most of it is actually to save costs for the customer. That is where the biggest potential is. Right. You, um, I want to pick on something that you just mentioned. You said that, you know, in regards to technology, you know, um, you pointed out that uh, artificial intelligence or anything that is related in general to uh, deriving value from data mm -hmm. uh, using al algorithms is, uh, is this thing that you see the, the most potential in, which uh, I agree 100% to. Um, how do you, and you said as well, you know, that there's, you know, different, you know, uh, bodies that companies need to par uh, partner with in order, you know, to, to actually make these things work. Um, from your experience, you know, uh, especially, um, you know, uh, being on, 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 let's say, multiple boards and also, let's say, uh, you know, at, at your experience at Kion and, and also, you know, the, the other industrial companies. How do you see, um, let's say, these companies, you know, adapting uh, or, you know, maybe investing also more into, you know, the right talent and the right skills, you know, that are necessary? Because what you also mentioned before is that, you know, when it comes to, you know, for example, something that, such as a, as a, a data science team or whatever, you know, those are not things that are, you know, um, spread across the entire organization. So how mm -hmm. do you see that for, for, these, for these traditional companies? Um, I, I, I absolutely think it's um, important to cluster those uh, because uh, they need to, you need to have a critical mass of that competency. You cannot rely on one person there and one person there. It's not good for... For the business, it's not good for the individuals that are there. So, for example, at Kion, we set up a, a, a center of excellence for, for artificial intelligence, where we have a, a couple of people uh, supporting um, centrally, and and they, that are the spear spearhead ex experts uh, that can be used for different uh, purposes within the organization. The same uh, I have done and seen in, in other areas as well. You know, data scientists is, is another example, classical example. You need to have a critical mass because you, you don't want the people to, to work on their own only. You want to have the dynamic that is created by having a, a group of very um, advanced and, and skilled per people. So I think those are the ones, don't sprint, spread them all over the place or too thinly, just put them together and, and um, a lot of dynamic will happen and, and they will lead the way, I think. And that is also what I think is so important. Um, in the old days, looking at leadership, uh, that was in most cases, the traditional leader was the one who knew the most, had the most uh, experience and also 
was the one that could uh, look back at, at his, his or her experience to, to take the right decisions. That is not the case today any longer because there are so many more people in the organization that know much more, uh, and especially in technology, that, than most uh, uh, leaders can do. So I think there is a portion of, of, uh, of um, trust and, and also to make sure that you have the right resource. That is the, the role of the leader, but not uh, um, steering in detail. I think that is what uh, a leader of a, of a center of excellence, for example, and that team, that is the task of that team. So I think... It's, um, it's different aspects, it's a new way of working and I think uh, the collaboration between different units and, and uh, different people on a product base for a specific target that is working to solve the problem and then disappearing again and, and a new uh, constellations are created, that is the, the new way of working. Yeah, I, uh, I totally agree. I think the, the different, the, that, you know, that is also something that, that I see a lot is that, you know, in, in, the, in these, in these uh, especially in this case, for example, with, if we're taking data scientists, for example, as, you know, a lot of companies just, you know, hire randomly people and, and place them basically into different, you know, units. And then, you know, there's like an individual person that is supposed to do mm. data science. But I mean, that is not, you know, that is really not fruitful because ultimately, you know, in order for, for you know um, value to be derived from uh, let's say from data and to actually you know make or do data science you know and and and, and let's say build applications that are smart or whatever you know it always requires a team it always requires the let's say you know the participations of multiple people and role role diversification etc and yeah and also think you know from data perspective if you just take that example there are different ways of working it. You can either uh, have a, a real customer problems that you're trying to solve and then you get the data that you need to solve that problem. The other way is also what, what do I have? What data do I have? What can I do with that? And that is, of course, maybe not the, the core of, of, of the traditional business. And that's where I think, you know, a data lab or something is something that can actually come up with things that uh, is more outside of the current scope of the business and out of the box. So that creates an additional value in terms of innovation as well uh, to see what is possible. I think it, one needs to do both ways. Yeah. Um, there's, uh, there's still, I think, something that we need to talk about, um, which kind of makes sense to talk about, obviously. Um, I mean, 2020 was a, was, a weird, uh, was a weird year, I guess, for everyone, uh, for the global economy in general. Uh, and especially, I mean, if we're talking about uh, digitization and about technology and stuff, um, you know, Corona, as 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 let's say, as uh, as as a crisis, more or less, as an uh, as, as an economic crisis, if we're talking about that, has obviously you know um, jump started a lot of, but um, also kind of you know fast forwarded a lot of um, you know digitization initiatives in the sense of obviously of new working. What is um, what is something or how do you basically see, or what is your prediction basically in regards to what is going to change um, due to Corona? Maybe in, in, in the mm -hmm. economy, you know, because every person somehow has their, you know, opinions and, and things. And, and that, that might be really interesting to, to, to see what is, what is your opinion on, on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, no one really knows. So, and it changes also the, you know, from day to day sometimes as well. But I think what we can clearly see is uh, 
that with the corona crisis, the already existing trends has been accelerated and the changes in society, but also in companies uh, that were very slow under a long time and would have taken years uh, under normal circumstances have taken another uh, turn now and, and uh, has, things has changed sometimes in a couple of days. Uh, just think about when we did the lockdowns earlier this year and the, uh, overnight there were no flights almost any longer and otherwise other changes has ta been taken weeks or, or, or months that would have uh, taken 10 years maybe. So I think uh, there is not uh, um, a lot of new trends that has, has uh, occurred from it but I, I think it has speeded up uh, dramatically uh, the adaptation of new technology, be it, uh, you know, from distance working, cash-free payments or, or, or e-commerce. Uh, and, and that has been, you know, ongoing for a long time, but, but it, uh, we have seen dramatic changes in those. Also goes for, you know, the environmental part uh, that um, has benefited uh, in, in those changes that we have seen in the, in the society. But I also, for me, also that shows quite clearly the importance of an external trigger to create a sense of urgency and to get momentum and, and speed up any kind of successful transformation or change process as well. Because it's not that those things has not been seen in the past, or, or, but, but there hasn't been a sense of urgency. And then uh, most people are, then get a little bit complacent and it's more of an optional uh, transformation. So I think that it has been a, an interesting um, uh, way to see it here. More specifically, if we look at the uh, digitalization, I think it, it, this will also lead to shift in priorities for many companies in terms of what areas and products will be prioritized uh, due to the dramatic downturn in the economy in the second quarter this year. And, um, and also the associated uncertainty um, of the midterm impacts. So the digitalization, of course, will always need to, to solve a real problem and create a benefit in terms of value creation. But I believe there will be more, much more focus on, on the efficiency aspects and, and taking advantage of technology to be more efficient and lean and uh, automize the business um, uh, and, and also the enabling fundamentals uh, than experimenting uh, and developing fancy new business models in the next coming years. Well, uh, Susanna, it was great talking to you. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Thanks a lot for having me.